we just found out a new stat that um, Black Americans are 500 times, 500 more times to die from food-related diseases than the police. But what we talk about all the time is the police. It's 500, 500 times more. That is just something that, how can you not talk about that in mainstream media? But when you find out how much money is tied into it, whether the government has money tied into it, the insurance companies have money tied into it, the fast food companies have, so many entities are wrapped up in this that even if they wanted to just quit, it would almost be impossible for them to quit like that. It would take a time period. The problem is we don't have time to wait on them. And the film is more about showing what's wrong, but one of my biggest goals was to provide answers to. Like, not just show you the problem. A lot of documentaries do that. They're like, hey, we're all gonna die. And they're like, okay, how do we keep from dying? And they're like, we'll see you in part two. Like, yeah. So, you know, Keegan, um, Keegan Coon is my co-director. If anybody's seen What the Health and um, uh, Cowspiracy, Running for Good, those are all his films and we came together for this. So, right. Hello, and welcome back to the Eat Real to Heal podcast, where we bring you the latest insights on nutrition, wellness, and transformative journeys. Today, we have an exciting announcement for all our listeners who are passionate about metabolic nutrition and detoxification. Super excited to introduce our groundbreaking six-month coaching certification program. So if you've ever dreamed of becoming a certified expert in metabolic nutrition and detoxification, this program is designed just for you. Over the course of six months, our comprehensive curriculum will equip you with the knowledge and skills to guide others towards optimal health and well-being. And our expert instructors will take you through the science behind metabolic nutrition, the intricacies of continuous daily detoxification, and will provide you with the practical to tools and strategies to support your clients on their wellness journey. But that's not all. For those of you who are looking to reverse chronic diseases and regain control of your health, we have our incredible Eat, we Eat Real to Heal six-week program. So if you're tired of managing symptoms and are ready to address the root causes of your health challenges, this program is the answer. It is led by health professionals. Eat Real to Heal will guide you through a transformative journey of nourishing your body with whole nutrient-dense foods and discovering, discovering the incredible healing power of nature's pharmacy. Now, imagine breaking free of the chains of chronic diseases and embracing a life of vitality and wellness. Well, the Eat Real to Heal program, you'll be able to gain the knowledge and support and practical strategies to make lasting changes and to rewrite your health history. So whether you're aspiring to become a metabolic nutrition and detox coach, or you're just seeking personal transformation, our programs offer the guidance and resources that you need. So don't miss this incredible opportunity to empower yourself and others on the path to optimal health and wellness. You can visit the links below to access both the six-week coaching program as well as the six-week coaching, six-month coaching certification program. So join us now. Spaces are limited, and we'd really love to see you in the program. Now let's dive in to the podcast of the day. So excited to introduce you to the badass vegan John Lewis. Now, John is a renowned fitness expert, and he played or he spent over two decades in the health and fitness industry and played Division I college basketball. 
John is incredibly passionate about not only his own health and fitness, but that of others as well. So today, John has taken his passion for health and is now directing his first feature-length documentary, which is focused on food and social justice. And John has teamed up with the maker of the award-winning film, What the Health, to create their new joint venture, They're Trying to Kill Us. The film follows co-director John Lewis from his beginnings as an adopted child from a crack addict birth mother, growing up as an overweight kid in the violence of Ferguson, Missouri, and to becoming a prominent health and wellness advocate, promoting compassion, which is what the whole world needs. So audiences journey with John as he crosses the country seeking answers to why Americans of color suffer from disproportionately higher rates of chronic diseases than their European American counterparts. And he does this while examining the intersections of food, disease, race, poverty, institutional racism, and government corruption. It's definitely the film to see of the decade. And through interviews with cultural influences, doctors, researchers, politicians, attorneys, professional athletes, activists, and experts in the field of food justice, John begins to unravel the story of collusion that has kept millions of Americans sick, while the industries responsible make billions of dollars every single year. So let's welcome John Lewis to the show and everybody, you know what to do. If you enjoyed this episode with John Lewis, please get his book, Badass Vegan, follow him on all of his social media channels and share this Eat Real to Heal podcast with all of your friends because you can literally save their lives starting today. Thanks everyone. We'll see you after the show. Hey, welcome everyone. This is the first interview of the year. It's interview, I don't know, hundred and something that I'm doing here with John Lewis, NBA basketball player, founder of Badass Vegan. Um, you know, he's he produced the movie, They're Trying to Kill Us, which we're going to talk about. So I just want to welcome you, John, for taking the time to be here today on the Eat Real to Heal show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, no, such a such a pleasure. Um, I was so excited when we got to meet each other at Plant Expo. Uh, you and I were both speaking on stage there in Vancouver, and I hadn't heard about you. I actually didn't know about the badass vegan. And I was like, who is this guy? And like, and I went online immediately and I'm like, man, all the stuff you're doing, you're doing it right. And then of course, you know, you showed the film at the festival. Um, they're trying to kill us, which I definitely want to talk about because that is so important as, as we were just covering, you know, in the pre-interview here, how it really is a summary of all my research that I've done for my PhD. So we're going to be talking about that intently because that is a, a topic. It's a systemic issue that's like dear to my heart. But before we get into all of that, um, I want to know, how did all of this start? Like, take me back to where you decided that, you know, being vegan was important to you and why? Uh, it, it had to go back to around 2004, really. Um, I had a good friend who passed away from sickle cell. And uh, I remember going to the uh, university doctor at my grad school. And I was having a little complications, IBS, stuff like that. And uh, he had said, you know, do you eat a lot of meat? And of course, as a man, you know, we lie about that. We're like, no, I don't eat a lot. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, maybe you should try like 
vegetarian. I remember he was from uh, Indian descent, um, not not American Indian, but actually India. And so he's, he, you know, he suggested. And at the time, I was like, "You see how big I am? Like, yeah, whatever, dude, not happening." And so that was October fifteenth. Uh, my uh, good friend that passed away, he passed away on October thirty first, which is Halloween. And something just like spoke to me, like, you know what? Let's try this vegetarian thing out. And I admittedly, I was so mad because I felt so good within two weeks. I didn't even make it 30 days. In two weeks, I felt like so good. And I was still eating the dairy at the time and I felt better. And fast forward a couple of years later, in 2006, my mom was diagnosed with colon cancer. And mm. same thing, I'm like, how did this happen to her? I'm talking to the doctors. He's like, too much animal protein, fried fatty foods, this and that. And I'm like, wait, this isn't hereditary? He's like, no, it's a lifestyle choice. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, there's some DNA that, that plays a part in it. But, you know, if you don't feed it. And I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. And I just started doing way more research. I was already in grad school. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm in research like mind all the time mm. already. And the more research I, I saw, it wasn't just cancers. It was like the hypertension. It was the heart disease. And the list kept going on and on like related to this animal protein. So I always tell people I'm a big believer in learning from my mistakes, but I'm a bigger believer in learning from other people's mistakes. Like if you try to run through that wall behind you and you don't make it, I'm not going to be like, hey, let me show you how to get to that wall. I'm going to find the door yeah. and be like, hey, you know, it's a door right over here. We could just walk straight through that. And so... When I did that, I didn't do it to start a business. I didn't do it to start speaking. It was selfish, like flat out selfish. And um, I just started to feel so much better. Like it just, the IBS was gone. The inflammation was gone. Like I said, I was running. I'll never forget there was one weekend. I ran a half marathon on a Saturday and played in a full basketball tournament the whole day on Sunday. Now, mind you, I was sore but I still was able to just keep going. Like it just was so different. And, um, you know, as far as the name badass vegan came along, I, I got to the point where I was doing uh, P90X. I don't know if you remember that workout program. So it a, what's it called? P90X is a big <laughs> at home workout here in the United States. It was like, like Tybo, but not Tybo. Yeah. But like more with weights, like Tybo okay. was like the, the martial the, arts side yeah. of cardio. So P90X was a whole like at home dumbbells. You don't need a bench press. Yeah. So just as an example, I think they sold 32 million copies. Like it was crazy. Yeah, exactly. And I, if you ever want to laugh, if you, if you YouTube it, I'm on all the infomercials and the commercials and the <laughs> for it. So I was getting a lot of recognition for that. And then when people found out I was vegan, they're like, wait a minute, you could be in shape and be vegan. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, like I really didn't know that there was this big thing. Like people were in disbelief about wow. being in shape and being vegan. So um, that's when, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing a lot of answering questions and it's taking a lot of time for my actual job. Like, let's see what I can do here. And badass vegan was just the first name that came to mind. I was literally mm -hmm. out on the run. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to GoDaddy and I'm buying the URL. Like nobody had, this is 2010. Nobody had the URL. Wow. I, I think I bought the name for like five bucks. I'm not even going to lie to you. <laughs> no, I five believe bucks. it. Yeah. 
And now I think if you look at like I looked it up, it's like worth like ten thousand just to like I was wow. trying to buy it now today. But nobody was thinking about it. So that's just where it all started from. So I have so many questions, obviously, because number one, who is that doctor that you went to? Because 99% of doctors would never have told their patients that. That's the thing. I have no clue because it, it was, and I hate to say it, it was such a blip on the map. Like I was just like, yeah, whatever, doc. All right. Because it was free. Like it was the, it was a school doctor. I literally uh-huh. just went in for a checkup. Five seconds later, I'm out of there. You know what I'm saying? With like, I didn't even get a prescription. I like, I enough. don't know if that's like divine intervention or you're just really lucky, like, you know, to I, have I that individual. Both. Yeah, it's I've both for a, sure. I've had a life of both. Like, um, I'm not religious, but one one religion that I've always like, I guess, gravitated to was Jainism, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure you've heard of. Like, yep. but I knew nothing about Jainism until one day I was on a plane and I got the window seat. I'm flying the red eye from L.A. back to Miami. I'm like, I'm ready to go to sleep. I can't wait till this plane starts. I'm going to knock out. And this guy gets on the plane. It's him, his wife, and his three daughters. One of the, uh, Two of the daughters are twins. And I got the window seat. And he, and the guy goes, hey, I'm so sorry. Can I can I have the window, window seat for my daughter? She just gets really nervous. And when I tell you, I'm like exhausted. I, I, I think I was out partying all night in LA. I'm like, I'm done. I'm over it. And I looked at him and I was like, are you serious? Like, I didn't say it out loud, but I looked at his daughter and mind you, I didn't have any kids at the time, but I like, you know, (laughs) she just gave me this look like, please. And I was like, all right, cool. So I I let them have a seat. I take, now mind you, I go from the window to the aisle. Cause of course he has to sit by his daughter. Like, you know, (laughs) that'd be just weird if I sat in the middle of both of them. So I'm at the aisle now. And we end up talking, we're talking, we're having a great conversation, actually. And somehow he gets to the point where he goes, um, hey, you want any snacks? Like, he was trying to break the ice as much as he could. And I'm like, oh, you know, I was like, well, you know, let me see the package. I'm like, oh, yeah, because I'm vegan. So, like, he's like, oh, you're vegan? He's like, well, I was raised vegan. I was like, really? Yeah. When my wife was pregnant, the doctors convinced us that we had to, you know, at least incorporate dairy and this and that. So we go, and he's like, yeah, I was raised Jane. I'm like, Jane? I never heard of it. So he goes into the whole aspect of Jainism. So it's a, this is a six-hour flight from L.A. to Miami. We finally land. And he goes, I go, man, I didn't even ask your name. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm Vip. His name was Vip. And mind you, he's from Canada, too, out of, out of all the things. From Canada. He goes, Vip, okay. And I hand him my card. He hands me his card. His name is Vip Jane. He was actually one of the descendants of the original Janes. What? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it was like divine timing. Like I could have oh, been in yeah. church and just been like, nope, I don't want this. You, I'm keeping this seat. You can't yeah. have it. And I'm going to sleep. Mm-hmm. But something told me to move. I had the greatest conversation. And uh, when I spoke, like every time I speak in Toronto, he usually comes through. Wow. And we get to like say hi, which I'll be at the Planet Expo in Toronto this year. So awesome. hopefully he comes through. But yeah, I always tell the story of like, like I could have been a jerk. I could have been. And it was like, some told me like, John. Oh, yeah. Me. And I had that great conversation. That's what happens when we say yes, folks. You say yes and magic happens. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's a beautiful story. Um, 
which makes me want to explore Jainism even more. Um, I definitely have met many practitioners and studied a little bit, but not necessarily incorporated all philosophies, even though same, not religious, spiritual. So there's a lot of overlap, but yeah, thank you for inspiring me again. But it just, it just, it just seems to be so relevant to like a vegan lifestyle oh, more yeah. Like a lot of people don't know, like they were so vegan. They're like the original vegan religion. Like they were so animal friendly. Like they swept the ground before they walked. Yeah. So they didn't step on any bugs. Like yeah. they really, really were, they, they were more concerned with the earth, not necessarily animal lives, but the earth itself and preserving it yeah. way before we got to any uh kind of climate, you know, crisis. I know people don't like to say that, but I could say we're in a crisis. It's we're been in a crisis. Like 40 days in LA. So, you know, just think yeah. about it. We're in a crisis. Oh yeah, no. We were studying this back in university, like in the nine, early 90s, um, you know, when I first went to university and we were debating climate change back then. We we're like, is it something, is it, you know, and this is now what, 20 something years later, we are in a climate crisis, folks. Like there is no doubt about it. Um. Yeah. And the science is there. We know it. We're experiencing it. We're living it anecdotally every single day. Um, so I love that you brought that up, right? That um, the original vegans, because this is one of the things that I see all the time. I mean, you're African-American. I'm African-Canadian, I guess, born in Malawi. And, you know, everybody is out there, a lot of white people who have commodified the vegan yes. landscape. And as though that they are their original, like we've discovered veganism. And, you know, ultimately, when we look around the planet, you know, lo lots of religions, a lot of spiritual leaders and groups, a lot of black people, indigenous people um, from lands in India and Australia, the Maori, like lot of vegans and maybe not a hundred percent I'd say so vegetarian but it is a thing that I do like to raise and you know and how do you navigate that space because I know everybody's vegan for a different reason um and and, and you know there's environmental reasons there's health reasons there's animal reasons but you know what are your thoughts on that when I bring that up I, I always say that veganism has been here since the beginning of time. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious. If you think about it, if you are religious, Adam and Eve were vegan. They, until they committed sin, they were just literally living off the land, you know, and then, you know, that happened. It's just that it, it got a catchy name at some point. Mm -hmm. And when it got the catchy name, it got whitewashed. But for the most part, like you said, in, in, Indigenous people, whether it be Africa or India or Asia or America, have always been plant-dominant, if not plant-based 100%. Yeah. Um, that's where we kind of get it all messed up because European culture usually does a very good job of wiping out history. So when it wipes out this history, it makes you believe their history. And forget your own, you know, like there's, there's a, I was having a debate with somebody the other day and actually, I won't say I won a debate, but I actually got them to literally like go, I never thought about it that way because it was a white person and they were like, well, why do you, why do black people say black power instead of, you know, like, doesn't that sound like, you know, kind of 
kind of like exclusive like you you're I was like well that's the thing I was like what's your what's your national background and he goes I'm Irish I was like exactly and I was like somebody else can say hey I'm English and somebody else can say I'm Romanian I said guess what we don't have a damn clue where we're from no. So we have to incorporate all of it and say black. I wish I could say, hey, I'm Nigerian or hey, I'm Guyanese or hey, I'm from, you know, we don't have that choice because it's all been wiped away. Yeah. And if you go back to Africa, if you go back to India or Asia or these other continents, you will see a heavy, heavy, heavy plant-based um, like living style that hasn't been tainted by European culture yet. Yeah. Well, it's like that in my grandmother's village. And I'm sure people on this podcast are so sick of hearing me talk about my grandmother's village, but you know, there's not many of us that let's have the piss them off again and say, say some more about it. Come yeah, on. Let's, let's do it. We're going <laughs> to piss you off again. So, you know, let's take you to where, you know, I was born cheered Zulu in Malawi. <clears throat> people have heard this so many times, no running water no electricity. People still walk for miles to get water. Luckily, there's a well that they can get it from. You know, they have to grow their own food. Um, they have to harvest the food. They have to know when the rains are coming, if there's a monsoon, if there's a drought, like they are susceptible. It's complete subsistence farming, thatched roofed huts. Like that's where the village is. And I was just there in 2018 visiting my grandmother, but it was so awesome because here I am. I've been teaching food as medicine through plant-based eating for, you know, nearly 16 years. And I get there and she's preparing the food exactly as I teach my clients to eat it. There's, and you know, there's like the odd chicken running around, but nobody eats the chicken, you know, there's like a goat, but nobody eats the goat or milks the goat. And, you know, for the most part, every, all the food and it's nutrient dense and it's delicious and it's whole foods. There's no salt, there's no oil, there's no sugar, but it is so delicious. And, um, you know, my grandmother is, she was vegan before I even knew what veganism, you know, was, and it is a part that people have to understand because everybody's so wrapped up in like paleo and keto and, you know, thinking like, let's go back to our roots of eating like tons of meat. But that was not the case for millions of people from like hundreds of thousands of years. And if you mention the word vegan to your grandmother, she'd be like, what the hell is that? Like, I don't like. Even though she's been doing it her whole life, she's like, what's vegan? Like, no, it's just, this is just life. This is what we do. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to ask you when you did switch to this vegan diet, because you had this amazing angel that dropped into your life and said, you know, stop eating meat. Um, but you're still eating dairy. So you vegetarian, I assume. So were you packaged food vegan or were you a whole food vegan like what was it like at the time because you still packaged. felt better packaged food vegan. yeah I was packaged. Yeah, I, I had no clue about the whole you know I I, <clears throat> I was a butcher at one point in my life like I, I've, I've been through it all like and when I was raised you know like I was 315 pounds as a freshman in high school I was raised off packaged food so you know I always say like addiction is real and but we don't think about food as an addiction I always say yeah. that you know, the government here in America gets a lot of things wrong, but the one thing they got right is when they call it the FDA, because yeah. food is a drug. It's the most addictive drug you'll ever put in your body. So I didn't even think about the whole foods or things like that. You know, I honestly, until I moved to Miami, which was 2004, I was already 26 at that time. I hadn't had an avocado. I hadn't had a mango. I hadn't had a plantain. I hadn't had hummus. 
I didn't know what chickpeas were. Like when I tell you I had this big wake up call and I I came to the realization that I wasn't alone in that because mm-hmm. in the middle of the United States of America, that's the same across the board. You know, you got more of a Caribbean influence on the outskirts of the country. Even if it's all the way up to New York, if you think about it, it's more the you, the outside of the country that really has that Caribbean influence or, mm-hmm. or you know, the, the Southern American um, influence. And then when I got there, my roommate, uh, still one of my best friends to this day, he was Dominican. And I'll never forget, we went to the grocery store and uh, he was getting plantains one day. And I was like, dude, why are you getting these big ass bananas? He's like, no, these are plantains. I'm like, no, dude, bananas. Like, I, And I had so much confidence in it. I literally sounded like an internet troll before internet trolls were real people. I'm like, no, dude, banana. And he's like, no, this is a plantain. He's like, wait till we get home. I'll cook it for you. And he cooked, um, he mashed them, he boiled them, mashed them up, put the oil, the salt and pepper, and then the grilled onions on top. And when I tell you, I was like, what? And they called it mangu. And I was like, what is this? Like, I was so mad that I had not had this for 26 years. I was like, I've been deprived. And so like, when I, I never had a mango soda. I mean, the only mango I had was a mango soda or mango candy. So when I had a, right. my first actual mango, I'm like, mind blown. Like, what is going on here? Like, I, like, you talk that about- That is like, like sex I, in a fruit. <laughs> I always say a party in your mouth. If you have the right food, it is a party in your mouth. But I don't think people understand that because they eat the same thing every day, every day. And they think that like, while they're eating meat, they're like, I got to have variety. I'm like, yeah, but you eat the same thing all the time you think you have variety we eat the same four animals yeah all the time there's seventy thousand edible plants on the on the earth you haven't even touched it yet exactly and so yeah like that was uh i was definitely a packaged vegan and or vegetarian and then i started to really really branch out as time went on yeah i like how you though that a lot of people think like it just happens overnight right that you just go from like eating a processed food diet or garbage diet or whatever you want to call it and then transition into becoming like vegan it's you know and for some people it's a wake-up call all they have to do is watch a movie like yours or watch forks over knives and all of a sudden they're like oh my gosh and they switch i was not like that i went slowly um so it's just important i like that's why i like sharing this story so Back in 2004, were you playing ball then still when you were doing your master's? I was, I was playing like in a travel league. So okay. like I played um, um, a year of semi-pro back in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I was like, this is bull. Um, this is not as glamorous as the NBA. It's not even close. And that's when I decided to go back to grad school. And when I got to grad school, and this is another thing that helped with my like, um, just getting accustomed to like different cultures because in America, even though I wasn't one of those people that was like singular, like I had to be black or had to be white. And, you know, I had, I had a couple friends that were outside of the black race, but when I got to Miami, I saw how much of a melting pot it was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my roommate being Dominican, I, that's another thing. I didn't even know where Dominican Republic was when like, so he's my color with green eyes. And he's, I'm like, where are you from? He's like Dominican Republic. I'm like, what? Like, where, like, where is this? And it's and I think that's everything happens for a reason. And I think that's what gives me grace with other people when I talk to them because I'm from where they're from. And I'm like, 
I understand why you don't get this because you've never been exposed to it before. Yeah. And so at, at the time when I was on this traveling team, the funny part was it was a Muslim traveling team and I was the only black guy and everybody was Indian. So like, yes, exactly. So like, imagine my culture shock with that. And I got accustomed to Indian food mm. and I'm eating China masala. And like, I'm talking about from their parents, their parents are making this. And I'm like, what is this? What is this non? What is it like? Oh my goodness. Like, so I, I was very blessed in a sense where like, I, I in the book, I have a lot of thank yous and a lot of best friends and I was telling somebody the other day, they were like, man, why you got so many like thank yous? I'm like, you don't understand. I have so many stages in my life where I have best friends from different stages. Like, I, I believe we all have different chapters in our life. And it's totally. like, you don't just get rid of those chapters. They're a part of the story. So like, I'm, I'm thanking everybody from my Indian friends, my Dominican friends, my Jamaican friends, everybody. And I, I've been very blessed to have all these different cultures. And um Long story short, yeah, I was playing ball, but it was like a traveling Muslim Indian team. <laughs> awesome. So so this is great because I'm imagining you playing ball like in University of Mississippi where I went, where yeah. it's like everything is like steak and meat and, you know, McDonald's. Like we used to, our coach used to take us to Wendy's before every tennis tournament. Like we'd be traveling to Florida, stop at Wendy's. You know, like let's get like let's get one of those uh those freezy things. Yeah, that, oh, the oh yeah, like and a burger and fries. Like we like were in, exhausted yeah. all the time. In, in undergrad, now in undergrad, when I played in my HBCU, shout out to Harrisville State College. Um, yeah, we this is how crazy it was. We had a five dollar uh meal budget for yeah, every weekend. I still. Five dollars, like people don't realize that now. And I granted that everybody thinks I'm younger than what I am. I'm like, I'm 45. This yeah. is back in the 90s. Yeah. And we, I, like, when I tell you my school was much smaller than it is now, like I give credit to all the alumni and everything. There, mm -hmm. like, we were Harrisville State College at the time. We're Harrisville State University now. Like, we didn't even have a campus. We didn't. Well, we had a campus, but we didn't have dorms. So I still lived at home with my mom while I was going. I'm playing college ball. Staying at home with my mom. Like, that's how small the school was. Yeah. We played at the local high school. We didn't even have a gym. Whoa. That's how crazy it was. And so, we, you know, we had a $5 meal plan. So we stopped at McDonald's every time. You know, we yeah. got to make that $5 stretch. Oh, and we always it. laugh at, at our coach because <laughs> with our meal plan, he would always like, like, yeah, give me a cup of ice and an apple pie. <laughs> and we always used to, and I love my coach to death. This is no knock on him. But we always like, Man, I know he's pouring Hennessy over that ice. Like he's just totally. <laughs> that's what's keeping him from going on this whole thing. Like apple pie and ice. Oh my goodness. But this is the crazy thing is that we're still living in like if I were to go check out the meal plans of the athletes right now in a lot of universities, I can guarantee what they're eating is it 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 is pure garbage. Like it's not real food. And how does an athlete's brain and body and, you know, you're training so many hours a day, plus you have school on top of that. And it's just, it's astounding, but it's nice to hear that when, you know, back in the time when you switched to vegan, like as if you're, you're playing ball with Muslims who are predominantly like vegetarian, vegan, like, so you didn't have to face necessarily the, the counterattacks that oh, I, I imagine. Oh, That's you did? Yeah, they all ate meat. I was the only vegan. That's, that's the 
that's the craziest part about all of it is that I'm with all the Muslims and I'm the only one that's vegan. So like when I tell you hilarious, like yeah, yeah, hilarious. Okay, but, well so. But when I say when I tell you like one of the most loving cultures that I've ever been around, like mm. they accommodated me no matter where I went. Like if I showed up to one of the parents' house, they had stuff ready for me. You know, like yeah. it was just it yeah, my teammate would laugh and joke, but they would always be like, Man, you're the most healthy. And I was the oldest guy on the team. But I never came out of the game. Like, I, I always had the most energy. Yeah. I could play all day. I was a point guard, so, like, I could go all day. That was just my thing. And so it was just it was just weird. It was it's still funny. We laugh at it today. And it was funny because we had one Cuban guy on the team who had been in jail but converted to Muslim while in jail. And I, I, I used to love hearing his stories, like, yeah wow, like, you, you've had a life, man. Like, yeah, I hate that you did whatever you did to go in jail. I never asked. But, I'm like, the fact that you, like, were able to – I'm all about religion helping your life. If it helps mm -hmm. you be a better person, then please incorporate it in your life. But if it exactly. if it didn't make you be a bigger asshole than you were beforehand, then please just get rid of it. Like, that's yeah. how I – Yeah, if you're using it to judge other people and condemn other people, no way. But I agree with you. If you're using it to help other people rise up and just be better versions of themselves right. – amazing. Okay. So two things I have to say, just going back to where I love what you said, where you're like, we all get lumped in as black. Like I'm black and I'm also South Asian. So I'm part Indian, part African, part white. So I'm this like mishmash of everything. You're part of the mud crew. That's I, I love am. It. It's <laughs> awesome. And it allows me to see through multiple lenses, which is very cool. But I just did this DNA ancestry kit that you can get they yeah. just mail it to your house you swap your and I just did that and what's awesome is like I thought I was at least I knew I was from Malawi but now I know I'm from the Mende tribe in Sierra Leone that's actually where my DNA comes from so just in case you ever want to know like truly where in Africa you came from then that's an awesome test to get um and quite a valid test as well so anybody out there who's listening Oh, look at that. What does it say? Nigerian, West African? 39% uh, Nigerian, 19% West African. Um, and I did, you know, my mom, so, okay, so I don't know if you know my whole story. So my grandmother actually oh, adopted me at birth. That part so, I knew, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So my, my real mom was actually a crack addict. So she adopted me from her. And so... My mom could, you know, I always call my grandmother. I never called her anything but mom because she was my mm. mom. She raised me. But she could kind of, you know, exaggerate sometimes stories. So I used to always think she would exaggerate. So she would always say, like, you know, you've got Scottish in your family. You've got Irish in your family. You've got Japanese in your family. I'm like, mom, no, I don't. Like, yeah. And then when I get this DNA test, I'm looking at it like, oh, shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> Who knew? Like, I just, I just... I thought it was another one of her stories, but yeah. like, I've always wanted to, like, it was good to see like Nigerian. I was like, that's mm -hmm. why I like running so much. Like, it, yeah. like, when I, it, like, it's so many different things in there. Like just made sense once I had the DNA test and then I tried to get my mom to do it, but she's very, very old school. Mm -hmm. um, well, she was very, she passed away in July, but very, very old school. And so like, I'm like, mom, do it for the kids. Like, yeah. so they can see it. she's like, 
nobody's stealing my DNA. I'm like, mom, <laughs> nobody wants to make a race of 85 year old angry black women. I'm sorry. It's not, you're safe. I promise you, nobody wants to do it. Like, but I just, get where she's coming from. Like, yeah, if you look yeah. at, you know, the, um, oh my gosh, what's the book? You know, the book. Um, oh, uh, wow. You just made me have a brain freeze. Oh my God. Well, the the Gila cells. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Henrietta Lacks, the story of Henrietta Lacks. So such a brilliant story, but it's true. Like our DNA was stolen, you know, like people's DNA. Like we didn't have a lot of ethics in the medical community up until maybe not even recently, but like in the 50s and the 60s. So your mom grew up in the era of hearing those stories of people's DNA getting stolen and people getting rich off of it. So I do get where she's coming from for sure pick cotton as a kid like that's wow. my mom was 85 when she passed like like that's why I, and i when people ask like why are you so vocal i'm like that's what i was raised around like mm-hmm. my mom was always like if it's not right you better say something you know like and, and mm-hmm. i've always been raised that way and to the point where i get it too because like like you said like there were so many messed up things she had to go through growing up and born in little rock arkansas not okay. like you know what I'm saying? Not like a melting pot. You know, like she was born in literally like Confederate flags as uh-huh. tattoos, that kind of thing. Like it, this was like a whole nother different era. And, you know, I, I understand the distrust behind it and everything. Like my mom, but she, I mean, all the way to the end, like even if she got on a plane, she wouldn't even use a credit card. She would go to the <laughs> airport, to the gate, buy a ticket with cash like no yes like nobody's tracking her at all system at all like wow. <laughs> and i get that there's been so mass like just the amount of of oppression from colonization and through the commodification of all the different i mean it's just been the the history is so yeah. profound with that but okay so one of the things that i definitely have to bring up and i think it's really important for you to speak to is that the fact, you know, we have, when I was in the States of Mississippi, I was, I would have to say mortified because I had never seen rates of obesity like that. And this is back in like 94, 95, 96, a lot of the students, a lot of them were African-American, a lot of them were white. They, they could barely walk from the classroom to classroom, like heavy breathing, you know, they had diabetes, they had heart disease. And these they're like in their early twenties, late teens. And it was truly heartbreaking. But then what I would see is that people would keep talking about their Southern comfort food. Like this is our food. This is a food of our people. And, uh, but I was like, I don't think that's the food of your people. And at the time I didn't know that it's what I know now, but it really was the food of colonization. So when you are, you know, out there giving talks and, you know, talking about the kind of food, let's talk about the kind of recipes that are in your book right now. And how do they align with, you know, what people think are comfort food and part of your culture, our culture? Curious about that. So so my, my, this, this is one thing I like to dispel this myth right off the bat is that I'm one of those vegans that I don't care how healthy you tell me it is. If it tastes like crap, I'm not eating it. Mm -hmm. So my biggest thing is to make sure that it actually is something that is going to taste good. Sometimes it's going to have a little Southern flavor to it. Might have some career, like, and like telling my journey and everything I've been through, it has all those different aspects. It might be an Indian influence. It might be a Caribbean influence. It might have a Native American influence. Like I have Native American in my family too. 
So all these things, I, I'm, in fact, my family owns the number one barbecue restaurant in all of Arkansas, which is crazy because I'm the vegan. So it's a little weird. <laughs> but all those things are incorporated in that. And so I have to like, I use all of that with what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's, but it's all about flavor too. Like I want, I want you to come into this vegan thing and have fun. I don't want you to come mm -hmm. in here and think, oh, I'm drinking green juice every day and like kale and, chips. Yeah, and and kale chips and I'm and I'm having wheatgrass and and all those different things. But yeah, yeah. I'm all about taste. I, I I say I'm all about taste. Um, and of course it's gonna be nutritious as well. And I I try. This is one of my, and I hate the word try, but in, in in essence, my thing is to eliminate as much processed, not packaged, but eliminate as much processed food as possible because everything is processed to get to us. I do understand yeah. that. But, you know, my take on it is that our body, when we eat food, it has one assignment and that's the mm -hmm. process of food. Yeah. So the more processed it already is, by the time it gets to us, everybody's like, well, what do you want me to do with this? Yeah. It's already been processed for me. So my goal is to provide as much less process as possible. And then you can put all the ingredients together and then make it yourself without all the preservatives and things like that. Amazing. Amazing. So let's talk a little bit about... Um your journey in making the film. And I want to know where the film is at, because I know when I got to see the film at Planted Expo, you had talked about how it was going to be picked up by a distributor. It was so close. And then the distributors like wanted you to cut out all this stuff. So we're going to get to that, but tell us about They're Trying to Kill Us. Where so is it at? To, yeah, They're Trying to Kill Us is a film about um, food justice and uh, social justice through the lens of hip hop and through my eyes of just growing up in Ferguson, growing up in America, just seeing the disparities of health. You know, we just found out a new stat that um, black Americans are 500 times, 500 more times to die from food related diseases than the police. But what we talk about all the time is the police It's 500, 500 times more. That is just something that how can you not talk about that? in mainstream media but when you find out how much money is tied into it whether the government has money tied into it the insurance companies have money tied into it the fast food companies have so many entities are wrapped up in this that even if they wanted to just quit it would almost be impossible for them to quit like that it would take a time period the problem is we don't have time to wait on them mm -hmm. and the film is more about showing what's wrong but one of my biggest goals was to provide answers to like not just show you the problem a lot of documentaries do that they're like hey we're all gonna die and they're like okay how do we keep from dying they're like we'll see you in part two like yeah so you know keegan um king coon is my co-director if anybody's seen what the health and um uh cowspiracy running for good those are all his films and we came together for this so right now we are actually, um, we have a meeting with, uh, I don't even know if I can say, I don't think, by the time this comes out, I have a meeting with the BBC tomorrow, actually. Oh, nice. Um, so I have them come on as like a production company. And then we actually move that towards talking to the different uh, platforms again, because the film may be restructured. Like we never released the film. For the most part, it was like a test 
and we did test screenings to see like mm -hmm. even the one at Planet Expo was a test uh, screening to see how people received it and see how everything went, which we had good. But um, we even had one network, like I said, that was so interested in it, but they wanted us to cut out 30 minutes of the film. And when we asked them why they wanted us to cut out 30 minutes of the film, they said, because it goes after our, well, first of all, they said it was the best documentary they ever seen. This is the president of this network. So the best documentary they've ever seen, it would be integral to help healing the black community in the United States. And we got to cut out 30 minutes though. And when we asked about why, they said, because it goes directly after our main advertisers. And I'm like, wait, you're one of the richest networks I know. in the world, not just America, in the world. And you're worried about your advertisers. So that let us know we were on the right track too, though. Yeah. And so well, and that's the part. I just want to speak about that part of the film as well that they wanted to cut out. Could you just speak to that a little bit? Because you also said it was the most fact-checked film Ever. Like it was so well yeah. fact checked. So it's not like, you know, a lot of documentaries can be very one sided, but you yeah, were yeah. just like telling the truth as it is. Yeah, we we wanted to make sure. Well, my biggest things, too, is like, luckily, with the success of what the health we saw people try to like double, triple, quadruple fact checked everything, even though it was all fact checked. But I wanted to make sure like we nipped that in the bud before it even come. And this network that we were talking about. They even said, they were like, we had our lawyers fact check. Everything's in order, but it's going after our main advertisers. So we can't have that. And so that was a big thing to, again, let us know we were on the right track and to understand that I don't care how much money somebody's offering. I couldn't, I couldn't cut that out because yeah. that part is going to save lives. You know, when they see what we're unveiling to people, that's going to change a lot of people's perspective on how they eat and how they live. And, you know, if you can eliminate your own suffering, then, then why wouldn't you do it? Especially mm -hmm. when you find out that the people that you had so much trust in are the main ones that are hurting you. Like yeah. we always say, like, I don't care what relationship you're in, whether it's a spouse, a business, uh, a school, a friend, if you find out the person really doesn't care about your life and doesn't care if you die, at a certain point, you're like, well, why am I in this relationship anymore? It's yeah. time for me to move on. And so that's what we're there to do. Well, that film was brilliant. I have to say, like, I was riveted right from the very beginning to the end. I've had so many people ask me, like, where's the film? How can I mean, you get this all the time. Like, when are we going to be able to see it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and our film came out. We created a short doc and it won, like, Best Health and Nutrition Film at a film festival just recently. It was so awesome to get that. But we're like, we can't show it. <laughs> you know, it might be another year or two. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah, people don't understand when you make a film, it's years and years and years in the making. Like, I literally get hate mail, like, because it hasn't been released. I'm like, wait a minute, so are you are you giving me love or are you showing me hate? I don't understand it. Like, this movie's exactly. too good. You need to let it go. You're a loser. I'm like, wait a minute, you just told me the movie's good, but now I'm a loser. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, dude, if you own Netflix, let me know. Yeah. And then we'll just take care of it right there. Like, let's go. Like, yeah. I know. Yeah. If there is any film distributors out there that want to help John out. And um, so one of the parts about the film that was really profound and also came out in my research, because I've been researching what are the barriers that BIPOC people face. So black and indig indigenous people of color face in accessing the quality of foods that they need 
to be free of chronic disease. Like we need fresh, real foods in communities. And we have food deserts all over North America, you know, food deserts being like, you cannot access real food. You can get all the fast food you want, but you want an apple, a banana, a plantain, a mango, you can't access it. So one of the biggest pieces that I'd love for you to speak to, because if you look on the CDC's website today, published on their website and you Google, what are the risk factors for diabetes? The, the U.S. government, the Canadian government says it's, well, you're a person of color. You're from the West Indies, you're indigenous. So you're, so they're saying it's your race. That's what it, one of the risk factors. Mm, your parents had diabetes. So your an, uncle, your auntie, your mother, your grandmother. Um, and this applies to all the diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, mental health conditions, or it's your age, you're 45 years in or older. So you and I, John, we're a person of color and we're 45 years and older. So we're like, who? We're a walking time bomb. <laughs> exactly. So, and then, and then, um, and, and the lack of exercise. So they throw that one in there as well, but there's really no mention of food and it's criminal because what your film showed and what my research showed is that there are policies in place. Like this is a systemic issue that people cannot access food due to policies that prevent them from having healthy grocery stores in their community. Can you just speak to that? Cause that was a really a profound piece of the documentary that I don't know if it skipped over people's heads, but it landed deeply with me. Yeah. There, there's a lot of things that go on when it comes to basically the zoning of, of grocery stores or um, where they're placed. So for instance, one one thing that we did come up with is that there actually is no such thing as a food desert anymore is nutrition deserts because mm. there's food everywhere but there's no nutrition in the food like you can go to the local gas station and you can find 18 honey buns and a variety of candy and a variety mm. of uh all these different snacks but there's no, no nutrition in it so what we're finding out is that there's a nutrition desert that's happening across the Americas as a whole. And so one thing that really stuck out, and this will get people to actually think, for a while, they've, they've been more under cover with it. But for a while, you know, you used to go in stores and they were like, hey, what's your zip code? And you ever wonder why they used to ask that? It's because when they ask that, they want to know where the money's coming from mm. when you buy it. Because those stores, they may not build it in your community, but they'll be like, oh, they're traveling all the way from over here to get this food. So we're going to do, what we're going to do is we're going to build a big center in Beverly Hills, but we're not going to put it in Compton. And we're going to keep seeing where this money is coming from, where it's coming from. For instance, there's a another uh, instance where we found out that they're in in the lease of grocery stores here in North, here, here in the United States. If a grocery store moves out of a grocery uh, out of a building, there's a a sub clause in the contract where no other grocery store can move in there. So what they do is they get the they get the brand loyalty. Like we just talked about, my mom, you know, our parents they they had more brand loyalty than anything in the world. My mom would buy she wouldn't she would only buy Miracle Whip. Yeah. If you try to give her the store brand salad dressing, you might as well have just cursed her out to her face because it was brand loyalty. So what they do is they bank on this brand loyalty. So let's say you have a, let's make up a name. You got Poppy's Grocery Store. 
sitting in the middle of Compton. They'll sit there for five years, get all the brand loyalty, and what they'll do is they'll relocate. And when they relocate, they relocate further from the actual nutrition desert than where they actually were. Now, what, why, why they are able to basically screw over the community is because they have the subclause in their contract that says no other grocery store can move in that building. So since no other grocery store can move in that building, now what? The people of that community have to bus, drive, walk, whatever the case is, to get to that grocery store that's now another five miles away. And five miles doesn't sound far, but when you're dealing with a full family or maybe you have to get on the bus, which there's a there's a law where you can only have two grocery bags on a bus at a time. So if you're buying groceries for a whole family, how many trips are you going to have to make to the grocery store to get back and forth? But we got a gas station here that's full of snacks and full of all these bad mm-hmm. things. And that's where that's just one small. And I, I know that doesn't sound major to a lot of people, but if you put yourself in the shoes of people in these communities that can't get to this, they don't have access to it. That's where it's a crime. Yeah. And it is, and it really is a crime. You know, one of the other pieces that came out in my research, which has been talked a lot about, uh, Dr. Milton Mills, uh, MD, who I know, you know, but you know, we know genetically, scientifically 80%, if not more African-Americans cannot digest lactose. So they're dairy intolerant, right? They get bloating, diarrhea, gas, you know, just don't feel well, brain fog when they consume dairy. Meanwhile, in the schools, they provide dairy to the kids. And if a mom or a dad says, hey, my kid is allergic to dairy, they can't have it. They have to go to the doctors and get a note from the doctor to exempt their child from having dairy and to try and get them to have a plant-based milk which then if you have three, four kids in the United States, like it's a little bit different than Canada. We can go to the doctors. You don't have to pay out of pocket. Whereas in the States for a lot of people, you might yeah, have to. Pay copay just to get a note from the doctor. And, and the only way around it per se is religious reasons. You have to literally say my religion is this, which religion is privacy too. Like you don't have yeah. to tell everybody your religion. So now if that's the case, you don't have the money to go to the doctors. No, now you got to like basically give up your privacy and say, hey, look, this is who I am and we can't have this. And they still won't care. Like, because they're not going to go per kid every time. Mm-hmm. You got a school with a thousand kids in it. You think they're really going to break down and be like, hey, John's kid over there can't have dairy. Let's remember that every day. Yeah. 250 days of the year. And then every year with a new teacher and new principal and new everything. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. When we look at these health disparities, cause you know, I didn't know that stat about, um, so what is it? An African-American a black person is 500 times more likely to die from food related disease than it is to be shot by a gun. Like exactly. killed. Okay. So, and we know that if you're indigenous, if you're black, you suffer from diabetes, heart disease, mental health conditions, cancer, four to 10 times higher rates than a non-black or non-indigenous person. And so, you know, the health disparities are massive and a lot of it has to do with access to food, lack of access to medical care, all of that. So with the film, they're trying to kill us. What's going to happen with it now? Like, what is the hopes, you know, what's the plan? <laughs> My people want to know. <laughs> I know that the hopes are right now. We got this talk tomorrow. Yeah, um, we're actually kind of reframing it, uh, and using some of the footage that we have, but using new footage. 
And I, I wish I could tell you the name. I can tell you the name offline. I can't tell you the okay. name right now, but the name is actually something that fits the scope of everything that we've been doing. And it actually fits mm-hmm. the scope of our previous films. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually very powerful. We just got some of the artwork back today. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful. So like, while I wanted to be out yesterday at the same time, it was like divine timing, everything yeah. happens for a reason and you can't rush it. And, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, throughout this time, we've been very fortunate where we had, you know, we, we've got Chris Paul as an executive producer. We got Billie Eilish as an executive yeah. producer. So the timing is helping us out. Um, and it's just a matter of like the, the aggressively waiting. That's what we're doing. We're aggressively waiting um for the right call uh, i guess you could say and then once that happens then we we can finally either either distribute it or start refilming it you know right and that's what, yeah yeah and documentaries I, are powerful they, like thank you. yeah it's it, yeah. but we just gotta it's gotta be right yeah yeah well I thought it was right when it came out. I would have loved to have seen it released to the world because I know that it would have impacted people all over. Because I, it, it's literally the re- direct reflection of my PhD research. And I was like, this is amazing. I don't have to create a documentary. You've done it um, with this film. So it was amazing. So I can just imagine how incredible this new film is going to be. So let's talk about your book, The Badass Vegan. So fuel your body, fuck the system and live your life right. Sorry if your little guy is over there. <laughs> Oh, his he you see who his dad is. I think he's used to it at the time. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Yeah, badass vegan. He gets to swear every day. Um, so let's talk about this book, where people can get it and what it contains. Like, how is this different than all the other books that are out there on, you know, veganism, vegetarianism? Because I, I just I wanted to get rid of the fluff. I just wanted to get rid of like the fakeness of it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you go vegan, you're gonna see unicorns in your sleep and it's gonna be just rainbows all the time. And it's like, no, like let's really show what's going on and give you reasons of why to go vegan. I, I wanted to I wanted to show like you don't have to go vegan because somebody else went for the animals or because somebody else went for health or somebody else went for the earth. You go for what your reason is because at the end of the day your why is what's going to keep you on path you know when you go to your uncle's barbecue and that smell hits your nose somebody else's why is not going to be the one that's going to be like you know what i'm going to stay vegan because of they love the animals like no if yours is health so be it uh because at the end of the day i always say this at the end of the day animals don't care why you went vegan as long as you're not eating them it's just like BIPOC people don't care why police aren't killing them as long as they're not killed. Like, anyway, totally. we don't care if you had a change of heart. We really don't care about that. It's like, hey, you're not doing it? Cool. Let's just go with it. So I touch base on a lot of things. I touch, I touch base on, like, the history of veganism. Like we said, like, veganism just got this cool word, you know, around the 80s or whatever whatever the case was, but it's been around since the beginning of time. Um, I talk about how you know, fasting, where people think fasting is like this new age uh, yeah. uh, brainwashing is like, no, fasting's been going on since the beginning of time, too. Oh, you, think people, you think people were eating six square meals a day? Like, like it's not like, 
you know, it's just different. So I, I go through all of that. I go through the reasons of veganism. Um, and, I, you know, I have 80 recipes in it. But I, I, that's what I wanted people to understand. That it's not a cookbook. It just happens to be a substance book with some amazing recipes in it. And um, awesome. my good friend, Tara Ponzoni, who is the uh, owner of Pura Vida in L.A., um, she helped me curate the, the recipe. So if you've ever had Pura Vida or uh, eating at Real Food Daily, she used to be there. Um, a lot of those recipes we curated and, and, and modified for the book. Amazing. Amazing. And people can get the book everywhere. I've seen like it's Amazon. It is out there. It's where, goal. where do you want people to buy the book from? Does it matter? I don't care. I don't care. Good. Like okay. our goal, our goal is to make New York times bestseller. Yeah. I don't care if your mom's selling one, go get it from her. I don't care who you buy it from. I really don't like at the end of the day, it's, it's more of a, setting up the next author per se because yeah. i want people to understand that like veganism is not a cult it's not i mean sometimes people do act like it don't get don't get me wrong <laughs> but it's not a cult it's not like this uh out of this world thing where you know it's whitewashed yeah. it's literally something that has been here since the beginning and can actually help heal the world like yeah. at the end of the day i don't want i don't want people to think like Oh, we're doing this for bragging rights. Like, hey, I only eat plants and you don't. Like, I don't want it to be an elitist thing. I want people to really see the ins and outs of what veganism is. So by getting the book, they can see that. And that's what that's what I want. So I don't care where they buy it. Barnes and Noble. I, I, I can't remember all of the stores in Canada, but I do know uh that there's one book uh website that's gonna have like a 30% off sale like starting like January 23rd, I want to say. And I'll make sure to get you the name before this Perfect. airs. Perfect. Um, I mean, most of our listeners are all over the world, predominantly in the States anyway, so it doesn't matter. It's all good. Yeah. Um, we'll make sure all the links are there so people can get a copy of that. Um, you know, And you also have the audio book as well, which is awesome, I believe. I have to go record that the week after next, actually. Oh, so you do? A, I'm going to okay. rest my voice up and uh, try not to yell too much. But yeah, I got to do that in, um, yeah. I want to say October 30th, I go, I mean, October 30th, January 30th, yeah. I start recording that. Amazing. Okay. I'm so excited about it. Cause when I'm running and biking, I'm always listening to audiobooks. I, it's like the best way to take in, um, information, knowledge, wisdom, which is so great. Now, um, I love that you brought up the fact that there's so many different reasons to be vegan and it doesn't matter what it is. It has to be your why. And that's something that shifted hugely for me since finishing my research is that, you know, I used to, it used to be about health. It used to be about the animals. It used to, I mean, it still is about the environment for sure. I actually started off first all about the environment. I'm like, when I teach people how to reverse their disease using plant-based whole food, the environment heals. And then of course, you know, health and animals all became included. And now it for sure is a societal thing. It's a social justice oh, issue, yeah. right? Go being vegan, being plant-based, being whole food. It is a social justice issue. And, you know, we have a program that's coming out called rise up. And that really comes out of the fact that right now, when people are weighted down by their diabetes, their 
um, their mental health conditions, their heart disease, like they just don't have the energy to live their best life. And so they can't fight back against the system. They can't go out and, you know, um, politic against the policies that are in place that are preventing grocery stores from being in their community. So, so much about, you know, being vegan as well is about, it really is. It's about giving people back their power, um, yeah. and letting them rise out, out of the oppression um, closing the equity gaps, you know, so for anybody else out there who hasn't thought about why you should get, you know, John Lewis's book here, Badass Vegan, it's just one more reason to do it. So I know I asked you this before we started recording and I was like, what is the one thing you want to talk about that people do not ask? And I mean, we've covered so many important topics, but you know, what do you want to leave people with right now that is just so vital for them to know, you know, before they take their next action out there in the world? I, I want people to understand this. And, and, and I always say this all the time. I am no one special. Like my journey is so normal that I want people to understand if they see me, I don't want them to look up to me. I want them to be like, well, shit, if he can do it, then why can't I do it? I want people to see that. Like I talk about it. Like my mother was addicted. My birth mother was addicted to crack cocaine. Um, I was a butcher at one point. I sold drugs at one point. I like when I tell you I've done all the bad stuff you could think about, and I still went vegan. And I still yeah. went for multiple reasons. And I also think too, like you can go for one reason, and then the spectrum can just open up for you. You know, like mm -hmm. it's. I went for health reasons. And like you said, I learned about, you know, the human rights aspect of it. I learned about the animal rights aspect of it. Um, it's funny that you, you're talking about your PhD because um, my co-director, my co-director actually says, like, man, you know, you could, uh, you could honestly get an honorary PhD you for can. all the research you've actually done with this. And I was like, wow, like, I never thought about that because I, you know, I started, I started a PhD way long time ago and then like life just happened. And I was like, yeah, I'm going down this road. But you know, that it's, it was a lot of research for the film. Like mm -hmm. it took us five years to make it. Like it wasn't just like, oh, you know what? Let's go get a camera. Let's go stand outside and let's do this. Like, no, we researched, we fact checked. We, we dove even deeper, like we connected the dots between all these companies doing business with each other, but they don't tell you like one of the major ones that we found out was how like the insurance companies and the fast food companies are in cahoots with each other. So you have the insurance companies that are invested in the fast food companies. So they have almost a billion dollars invested into the fast food companies. So when you buy this food and you get sick by the food, they can charge you a higher premium because you got sick by eating the food that they were selling you in the first place. So they're getting paid off all of it. And so meanwhile, like, you can't sue the fast food company for making food that makes you sick. Because the government said, you know what? It's cool. It's yeah. all right. Yeah, and yes. they learned from the tobacco, um, you know, fallout with, you know, they, they weren't on it fast enough to realize that you could sue the yeah. tobacco companies, but then the fast food companies are like, we don't want to be sued. So let's make sure we have policies in place that prevent yep. us from getting sued, even though we are contributing to the chronic disease epidemic. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I always say this too, is like, if you don't think the fast food corporations 
are selling you a bunch of bull, check out the commercials. Yeah. The average person walking around is not the person you're going to see in the, in the commercial. No. Everybody's happy and healthy and they're living it up in the commercial. Nobody's got a chronic disease in the commercial. No. They're, they're having a great time. So, yeah, it's, it's so many different things that at the end of the day, what I do want people to understand is that you don't have to be a special DNA. You don't have to be a special race. You don't have to be a special religion, sexual orientation, whatever mm -hmm. it is. It doesn't matter. If you want to change your life and you want to be a vegan, plant-based, whatever you want to call it, you can do it. And there's no, there's no, uh, there's no club. You don't have to, an initiation fee. Nobody mm -hmm. mails you a certificate in the mail. You can do it without even telling anybody. Yeah. No. And I, and that brings up though, probably one of the most important reasons to think about giving up the meat, giving up the dairy, giving up the processed food is because you will feel freaking amazing. Like 47 years old, I'm running and biking across Canada. You just did a half marathon. You're active, like your body regenerates so fast. Okay. And I just had all these tests done, you know, just to check out where I'm at. And they were like, the cardiologist couldn't believe it. He's like, you have the most, he did this. You have the most supple arteries I've ever seen. They're totally clear. Like, wow, your heart is an amazing. And I'm like, he, but of course didn't ask me why. And I was like, of course, yeah. you know, well, let me just tell you about my diet and you know, my kids, they, they get broken arms. We live in a ski resort. They're doing gymnastics. And every time they heal faster than everybody else, the doctors tell us that to our face. And so your body regenerates and you have energy, you have an amazing libido. It's like, there's a million reasons to do it yeah. just on that. The I feel great. Up there. Like the, the, don't like, don't forget about that part. Like people, people don't understand. It's like, that blue pill you're taking, hey, buddy, you might be able to get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, Pretty much everywhere. I'm on Instagram under Badass Vegan, Twitter, TikTok. Um, I'm even on Pinterest. Like, I just, anywhere that comes up, I just hurry up and grab the name before somebody else grabs it and does something crazy with it. Um, but yeah, uh, and, and my email address is john at badassvegan.com. Easy to reach. I I work on answering all emails. It might take me a little while, but I do work on answering all, every message that I get. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Do you have a big team working for you or is it you? How does this work? Yeah, it's just me. It's oh. My team is my, my two kids and them basically being like, all right, it's time for a break, Poppy. Let's go play basketball. I'm like, you're right. Let's amazing. go. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I will not keep you anymore because I know your little guy cannot wait to see you. And uh, oh, you popped in here a couple times. <laughs> I know. I saw you do a little wave over here. I've done that so many times. Man. I'm like, go, go, go. <laughs> That's the joys of being a parent and working at home in this co post COVID era um, that our kids are involved, which I think is so great because they get to oh, see. Look the work that you're doing, which is huge. And, you know, you have little kids. I have teenagers, my 18 year old. She just said to me the other day, she's like, mom, don't worry. Their palates are going to change. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, I crave healthy food now. Cause your kids go out and like, you can feed them all the healthy food you want as a, you know, when they're little, but then they go out there and make their own money. Right. And they want to be like the other kids. So then all of a sudden they're buying the food. That's not as great, but she's like, don't worry, mom. 
they're going to come back. So that was good. You're, you're planting the seeds in your kids, which is awesome because literally they are the future. Um, so I just want to thank you for the amazing work you are doing in the world. It's huge. It's profound. It is going to change. It's, it's going to change everything for everybody out there. So I appreciate you so much, John. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. I've been, I've been doing this like extra crazy training. So I think it's just, I, at times I still think I'm 20 and then my body's like, no, we're, we're 45 now, bro. Like you just not, <laughs> not, not doing the I, same. Well, I'm 47 and I'm training to run a bike across Canada. So like my weeks are like 16 hours long of training, which I need to get back into. And I haven't hit those numbers in a while now. And so that's what I was doing before when I did the cross BC tour. Um, and, you know, it's been postponed for the last three years because of COVID. So this is the year yeah. that it's actually happening. And now I'm like, oh my God, 47 What's is the not date? the same. What's that? What's the date? Uh, July 1st, I will leave. Okay, you got a little time. You got oh, a little yeah. time. I've got It'll six, creep uh, up on you though. It will creep up on you. Like, yeah. I know. I still feel good every time I get out there, but there's just like, oh my gosh, it's like all the clothes washing. It's like all more, mostly all the stuff around the training that I'm like, I never used to be so tired doing this. What the hell's happening? <laughs> I just I just did a uh, a half marathon in December. What? It was the training that like but when I tell you it was, and I'm, that was my seventh half marathon. I haven't ran one. I think it was like 10 years previous. I hadn't done wow. one in a while, but it was the fastest time I ever had. It was the most enjoyable one I ever had. What? Like when I tell you I was coasting, like it was so weird. Like, like all the way leading up to it. Like it was yeah. in Jamaica. And so that made it a whole nother experience. Like, wow. Rain the first three miles and it was like oh man it's raining but it just felt so good and then like i never forget around mile six i saw this guy with like this like i'm I'm tall but i have a bad habit of like chopping my feet instead <laughs> of really using my stride i i have this fear of falling so i always chop my feet like i, I just don't want to fall like yeah so i see this guy and i mean he's got like this mean stride going and I just say you know what the hell with it and when I tell you I just started passing so many people I still was making the same mile I mean per minute mile per minute or mile per hour but it just it just for some reason everything just started clicking oh. and by the time I got done I was just like yeah and then like it ended like at the beach like it literally Whoa. ended at the beach. And so you got all these runners just in the beach, like in the water, just relaxing. I was like, now this is how you're supposed to do a half marathon. Like exactly. And they invited me out to it. That's the crazy part. They were like, Hey, can you come run this? I was like, Yeah, you paying for it. I'm there. Like Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Um <laughs> Yeah, with my, I've never run an official half marathon, but through my training, I mean, my coach had me doing like many, like two and a half hour right. runs and everything like that. So um, it was funny, like to think about, cause I was like, oh, I've never run a half marathon, but then I was like, oh yeah, I did many over the last yeah, like yeah. two years. It's so, it. it's such a weird concept. And I'm like, oh, I, I guess I could sign up for one of these races. I've never been ever motivated to sign up for a race. But now that I hear you talking about that, I think it would be good because I do a lot of my training on my own and it would just be so fun. And I'm sure it would pick up my pace too. Cause I tend to stay in like zone two um, for most of my training. Right. Like, and that's, that's what le lets you go 
far and long. My only one is, and and you've done more bike races than you've done runs, and it may be the same for the bike race. I I will say my first half marathon, I almost killed myself because I did train by myself. I always trained by myself. And when you get out there with these oh. other runners, you're like, oh, I got to keep up. And then your body's like, this is not the pace no. you ran, bro. <laughs> exactly. like, like this one, I ran my own pace. I kept yeah. my own. I didn't care what anybody else did. Awesome. I kept my thing going. Like, yeah, it was so different. Yeah, like yeah. that first race, I was like, oh, yeah. And I'll never forget. And I, that's, I'll never forget this one guy my first race. And that was, I probably was 33, maybe. But it, it was this older white guy. I don't know if you ever watched, like, Rocky movies at all. Yeah. He looked like Dolph Lundgren. He looked like, I mean, just ripped up, older, had, the like, the gray box. And he looked like he was about 245 pounds of pure muscle. And I'm like, this dude's going to die out. When I tell you, I hadn't even reached the halfway point. And he was on his way back already. And I was like, and I'll never forget the motivation I got out of that though. Like I could have went the other way. Like I did get a little disappointed, yeah. don't get me wrong. But the motivation from seeing him do that, I was like, okay, so like you don't have to lose it with age. I mean, he Yeah, no. You would have seen him, you'd be like, Oh, there's no way. This dude's gonna die out. Well, I'll tell you a little secret. I used to go to my, like my friends have run lots of races. My partner, he used to do a ton of like crazy long distance races. And I'd go to these races and cheer them on. And I'd be crying because I'm just like, oh my God, look at, look at that person. And like, you just see the, every emotion and the feeling yeah. in their body. And you're just like, but it's so many different body types. It's so many, yeah. like, it just completely dismantles all your perception around like, who's a runner, who's not a runner, or, you know, who's a biker, who's not yeah. a biker. And I just like end up crying like, and I just like yeah. running beside them, cheering them on. It's like one of my favorite things. It was, this, it was this old lady in this last race. I just, she knew I was trying to get her. <laughs> and she kept this like smooth, like nonchalant pace run. And I'm talking about every like at one point, somebody like <clears throat> I don't know if they cramped up or they started like whatever, but she stopped to help them. And I was like, Oh yeah, you you just messed up. <laughs> she lapped me again. Like I was like, yeah. like and it and it was she didn't say a word. I don't even think she looked at me. But oh. when she did pass me, it was kind of like a I just saw it in her shoulder, like, and I never got her again. I never got her again. Oh my! I saw her, I saw her the whole time, but I just never got her. Oh like, yeah, man, that one person, and she had to be, she probably was like sixty, just like she does this on her weekends, like, exactly. No, like, well, a yeah. lot of people, yeah, they get started later on in life too. And I love that as well. Like I was never a runner, like I was an athlete and all of that. And I played Div 2 tennis in university in Mississippi and did all that. But, you know, like, so there was lots of training and there was lots of, you know, athleticism, but it's, different like, training, though. Yeah. it's so different and yeah, but not this kind of, you know, endurance running, like it's, it's a different ball game. So, so when you, so you just ran your best time. So was this on, because before like, did it have anything to do with your diet changes or? I, I was still vegan. No, I was still oh, vegan. Still, okay. It just, yeah. I just didn't train correctly. I just right. really was like, to be honest, I was like, getting divorced at the time and I was like well this is my way out the house let's go right 
I would go run. It's, it's Miami. It's hot as hell during the day. And I'm like, yeah. oh, it's 9 p.m. Time to go running. Like, let's go. Better than being home. Yeah, for Better sure. Better than home. And that's, that's what I used to oh. do. So I would just go training and, like, run at night. And I, oh, that's amazing. I had the worst running stands. I was hunched over. Like, this time I really concentrated on, like, standing upright and yeah. making sure my knees came off the ground and making sure my foot struck the ground at a certain pace and my breathing yeah. was together like so different like it, and i'm good friends with rich roll yeah so i always pay attention to like you know he didn't start running until like his 40s no so exactly like, it was like okay i mean not not nothing against rich roll but i'm like if, if rich can do it fuck like i can I mean, he was an alcoholic lawyer and like, you know, he was not in shape. And so, yeah, of course I was the same way. It was actually, that's what prompted this whole entire tour across Canada. Cause I was like, Rich, I need to get on your podcast. Like we are healing people from chronic diseases and like super advanced illnesses and all done through plant-based. Like I'm getting on your podcast. So I sent him a note, never heard from him. And I was like, I'm going to run to California. And I'm going to show up on your doorstep, Rich. So be ready for me. I'm coming. And so then COVID hit and we were like, fuck, we couldn't get into the States. And so I'd started training. It was all supposed to happen. So then I was like, well, forget Rich. I'm going to run across Canada because at least I can stay in the country. So that's how this exactly. whole across Canada tour came. And then now I'm like, Rich is a long forgotten memory. But what, you know, what part are you in? What part of Canada are you in? I'm in British Columbia up in Whistler. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening to that episode. Go ahead and press the share button, share this podcast with everybody that you know, because it's with our collective efforts of sharing information that is sound and grounded. We can help other people get access to this information that they might not be aware of. And then they can learn how to reverse their chronic diseases, be able to rise up, have the energy that they need to live their most vibrant, amazing life that they are really, really deserving of and destined to live. So let's collectively do this by sharing this knowledge. I want to thank you for being here on the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Stay tuned for next week episode, next week's episode. And thank you all to all of our listeners, all of our guests, to Becky for hosting this show and putting it together for us every single week. Thank you everyone for making this happen. Let's collectively go out there and make the change that the world needs us to see today. Bye for now. <laughs>